Hey everybody and welcome to another amazing episode of Finding Peaks. Chris Burns, president and founder here. I got uh, the chief clinical officer, Jason Friesma, and our longest standing employee. I want to make that very clear. Um, So really grateful for your time with Peaks, Jay. And then we have our admissions specialist, Angela Lopez, to my right. Thank you for coming back on today. Yeah, thanks Really for grateful me. to have you. We have an exceptional show today, something that's near and dear to my heart, Angela's and Jason, and that is being a parent in this world and a parent in recovery, um, which sometimes can be pretty trying um, and a difficult um, process to navigate at times. And so um, I want to talk a little bit on the front end about what this episode is and kind of what it isn't. Um, this is, we're going to talk about some things in the developmental process that have just come to light in the last handful of years that we're really grateful for, um, some ideas and some opportunities for us parents just to get it better um, and to be able to show up better in those really crucial developmental years. Um, so this isn't an attempt to throw shade at any past parenting. So much of it is generational. And like I said, I was just reading the Dad to Be book in 2015, and I was a little bit shaken Uh, to have read the whole thing and not find a single chapter on mental health. Um, So I'm grateful to be here today with folks in recovery, um, great parents. um, So let's let's get this thing going. Let's do it. Let's Let's do do it. it. So I have a few questions. Um, We'll start with the first one, and I'm going to direct this at Angela, but um, you're a parent in recovery. I am. And you have a six-year-old daughter? She's seven. Seven. I always think she's 10. <laughs> she acts okay, 20. Yeah. yeah, but she's seven. Yeah. yeah. What, and we were just talking about before the show how we absolutely love just being parents in recovery and the joy that we get from that. But what are some of the more difficult parts about being a parent in recovery? That's a great question. I think for me, one of the most difficult things is that learning how to put myself first. Um, over, you know, my daughter, over anybody else. I think for me as a mom, it feels, and any parent can relate, but it feels counterintuitive to want to take care of yourself first. Like, you know, they give that example about putting your mask on first before your child in an airplane. And that's how I think of my recovery is I I need to put myself first. And if I'm okay, she's okay. But it feels very um, awkward. Um, But... I know that it's important and I watch the effects in my daughter and her learning how to take care of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, that would probably be the hardest part. That's awesome. I, I love that. And you actually shared a story uh, before the show. Would you be willing to share that? Yeah. So <laughs> the other day, I'll probably cry talking about it, but um, the other day, my daughter, you know, I lost my cool on her and I yelled at her. And that happens sometimes when you're a parent. And Um, you know, so I was doing some repair work. I was like, Athena, you know that I love you more than anybody else in this world. And she was like, well, what about your mom? What about your sister? (laughs) And I was just like, well, this isn't a competition, but you know, I love you more than anybody else in this world. And she's like, well, mom, what about yourself? You have to love yourself first and care about yourself first if you're going to take care of me. Mm. Um, And those are not words that I had ever sat down and said, Athena, you need to love yourself first before you love anybody else. I'd never said that to her. But, you know, through my recovery in the last, you know, her entire life, really, because I had her in sobriety, she's seen that. She's seen that I have to put, you know, my recovery first. I have to take care of myself first. And um, it's wild to watch it, um, you know, sink in for her without me ever having to even say it. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. And and that brings up just a tremendous point that, 
um, I, I was remember sitting with my therapist and I went in to Polly and I'm like, Polly, I, I can't get this four or five year old, like how do I teach him gratitude? Yeah. She's like, Chris. Gratitude. You show them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow. And all of this information kept flooding in. I said, I've been, I've been celebrating these big things and not really looking for the simple things yeah. in order to celebrate, to create this gratitude. Mm-hmm. So it's so much more about what we show them. Yep. Um, and maybe, Jay, th- through your clinical lens and obviously being one of the greatest fathers that I know and, and having taught me a tremendous amount about showing up as a parent yeah. um, and having older kids than, than we have, what was that process? I am older. A <laughs> little bit, not by much. <laughs> yeah. Barely. You know, only a decade yeah. older than me. There. So yeah. what is that process, now that you're through some of those more developmental years, and certainly you're still in some of them, but what was that process like for you? <clears throat> I, I was reflecting on it as you guys both kind of talked about being uh, earlier in your parent process. Um, like, you know, my kids are now adults. Um, That's crazy. And it is crazy, I'll be honest with you. It goes by in a second. Um, Like, I just, I feel like I was so, I was nervous about having, like, teenagers and how how would we provide discipline and structure for them as they got older. And really, um, what I found is that all of the the seeds of relationship that my wife Trish and I just sowed into our kids, like, when they were teenagers, like, we really... We didn't have big blow-ups or big, like, how, how do we handle this or whatever. Like, we were just so invested in the relationship. It certainly doesn't mean we didn't have hard times. We had sure. hard talks and rough evenings and, you know, challenges on a variety of things. But it was all relational. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you begin to view your kids as people, really, and treating them as people, like, I, I feel like... I don't know where maybe along the way that got missed, <laughs> like yeah. right. you know, generations past, it feels like, but, they, mm-hmm. but they're people. Like they, they aren't little adults. They are kids, but they are people, too, that, that the relationship and showing them um, gratitude and showing them how to love themselves and trying to love yourself while probably battling I'm a bad parent all, all the time in the back of my head. I know I, I constantly battled that yeah. as the kids were getting older, but really lean, learning how to lean into that um, and be relational means that, you know, when my daughter's off at college, like she's calling to ask, you know, real questions and, and wrestle with these things in a really genuine way, not because she's forced or, or anything or, or needs something for me other than like just connection. It's, cool. it's strange. I'll yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. And I'm really grateful. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. I really appreciate you sharing that. And so much of this, you know, especially with older kids, it's informed by something. Yeah. You know, and, and generally in my experience, especially with children, is it's informed kind of at the ground level mm-hmm. and where these things are rooted through these early developmental processes. And I, I was reading a study, well, about a year ago, and it said, you know, from three to five, we're finding for emotional development that kids outside of, you know, primal needs really need to be shown inherent value. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I am a consequence of lack thereof. And I don't say that just in my addicted family system. I am seeing kids come from what I would consider really good families mm-hmm. that are just missing some of these more connective tissue moments to just do something simple as making sure that Athena is inherently valued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's not, you don't have to work for it, you just have it a part of you. Yeah. And I wonder too, at the same time, if, if a kid is really rooted in that inherent value, then we don't have these really intense spikes 
um, in some of those other developmental years, these huge cataclysmic moments because they're rooted in something good, something safe, and something sustainable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I totally agree, Chris. Mm-hmm. Like, because how many, how many people, you know, I certainly watch it all the time at, at peaks, and I probably feel it myself for a lot of times too. Like, when something goes wrong, the first place we go is like, I'm wrong. I'm right. the problem. I am a piece of garbage mm-hmm. or whatever it is that we may tell ourselves. Right. And, um, and really, when, when you're planting these seeds, sometimes that you don't have, but you can plant them in your own kids or at least have a way to talk them through that. Like, I think it can be so powerful um, when they don't take all that stuff personally. Like, they demonstrate that resilience that, you know, maybe it took some of us decades longer to sort out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. And, and then we wonder sometimes, and I wondered, you know, I sat back in kind of a lower income situation and I saw kids go to boarding schools and off to jail and they'd come back and do more of the same. Yeah. And it was just this repeat, rinse, wash, and repeat. And oftentimes the parents uh, in my social circle would look at the kid like, what the f- are you doing? Yeah. You know, and the kid's like, I don't know. Um, I just can't stop doing it. Mm-hmm. But when that inherent value is missing at that foundational level, kids are these things are really smart. And so mm-hmm. they go out and they try and find it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have, I think, in our, and a lot of times in our prison systems with recidivism rates, certainly a chronic relapse comes up, is with it's kind of some under-resourced providers. We're really actually not treating the root cause. Um, and we're not dismissing some of that intensity. And so it, it's everlasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be really tough developmentally. But you mentioned something earlier that was really, really cool. Um, and it's the developmental stage from 7 to 11. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about repair. Yeah. How do you repair as a parent today? I think it takes having to be vulnerable with her. Um, I want to show her what not being perfect looks like. And I think it goes right along with what you're saying, that even when she messes up, that she still is safe here and she can still talk to me about it. But that comes with leading it. So, you know, if I mess up, I have to, I sit down with her and I remind her that that had nothing to do with her because I think, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier about how kids are just kind of inherently selfish mm-hmm. and they are going to take things personally and they're going to see their fault in it or what, what they do um, that could have changed it and reminding her that this is not about you, that this is about me. And ultimately, I'm the adult in the situation and, you know, of course, it's still not okay that you did X, Y, and Z and this is what I should have done different. And I think that repairing with her has been um, the pivotal part in our relationship really because she knows that she can come to me no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so crucial and really a new generation of ways to look at things because Jason kind of mentioned it, but we're coming off the backs of a generation not too long ago where kids are supposed to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And then we have our chief clinical officer saying over here, we got to actually treat them like people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is these, this new way to really look at things. And so sometimes for some family systems, that can be a tough rub. Yeah. But it really is this idea that, like, we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And we need to show our kids that there's nothing like perfection in this world. That is actually setting them up for failure. Yeah. Right? So one of those premeditated resentments. Mm-hmm. So how have you seen, Jason, um, or what message would you give um, to parents out there that are struggling <laughs> both with addicted <clears throat> loved ones, but maybe even kids in recovery. Mm. You know, how do we show up there? Um, maybe you can touch on that a little bit. <clears throat> Man, that's a really broad question. Um, I think, 
you know, showing up, like showing up for kids in recovery, mm -hmm. like kids who are in recovery themselves. I think accessing that humanity, being able to separate out the addiction as painful as it may have been and as much wreckage as there may be behind that addiction, um, somewhere in there, there's, I, I almost, everybody <laughs> has some inherent value, yeah. right? Like, I mean, that's what developmentally we're saying at three. Well, it's still true at 23. Yeah. They may have just made a ton more mistakes or caused a lot more damage, but somewhere in there, there's absolutely inherent value in that person. Yeah. And um, if you can kind of mine for that or, or remember that piece, I think it can be so helpful. Yeah. Um, and I can't, I mean, I can't tell you, I've, there's been a variety of times where, I, where I've been sitting with a client, I can just see them just disappearing into their shame and I'll just be like, hey, you're, you are a good man. Mm -hmm. And I'll just leave it there. And like, you'd be shocked at how quickly people just begin to cry. Cause like, that's not what they say to themselves. Yeah. I think that was the biggest difference for mm, with my mom and I. Jason has seen my mom and I. Yes. And I went to 10 treatment centers by the time I got sober. And I did horrendous things to myself, to other people. And she always came to see me. She never was like, you know, I'm done with you. Like, get help by yourself kind of thing. Of course, she had to set some appropriate boundaries. Mm -hmm. But she was always just happy to see me. And mm -hmm. she always reminded me that, like, I was separate from my addiction and the world I was living in was not my normal, you know, that this is not the life that I needed to live because of how I was, what I was worth, um, that this was just kind of part of my story, but not who I was. And I think that you're so right, was so impactful for me, even in the moment, if I couldn't see it, but especially now, and then leading the way with how I want to parent my daughter. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. I always forget you guys have that. Yeah, we have some history. Yeah. <laughs> a while yep. back. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I want to share just a really cool story. And, and for parents out there who have maybe a four or five or six-year-old or a seven-year-old, try it real time. I was, I was at the park a handful of months ago, and I was with my oldest son and, and my youngest son. And um, something about I, I consider myself to be one of the best dads on planet Earth. Um, and I strive <laughs> towards that, and I work towards that. Um, it's not just given. And so one of my rules is, is guys, if we're going to go bike riding, we're going to the park, the rule is, is when I say it's time to go, we got to go. No questions asked because we do something fun every night. And six months ago or whatever it was, maybe even a year ago, I go, Rorke, let's go. And he says, I don't want to go. And I do this. And I don't say a word. I just look at him. That look came from somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, didn't come from his dad. <laughs> and, and right away, Rorick starts crying. I didn't say a word. And he goes, Daddy, like he saw a ghost. And I was like, holy shit, you just scared, yeah. excuse my French, you just scared this kid. And very quickly, I'm like, repair. That was not my intention. My yeah. intention is to get him to go so we can go home. Yeah. Yeah. And so I get down to his level and I go, buddy, Daddy can tell that he just scared you. That is not my intention. My intention is to say that it's time to go, but I want you to know, man, fear is not something I want to be a part of this process. I love you so much. And I've seen it real time. Six-year-old, yeah. he goes like this. Dooley, all right, Dad, because I thought you were getting funny there for a second. You know? <laughs> you know? And he's right back to the races. Yeah. He just yeah. needs to know that he doesn't have to go home when he sits by himself at night and tell himself childlike stories because Dad didn't tell him the reality of the situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what I found myself doing as a kid is, is being in a room by myself, telling myself, what else would I tell myself other than childlike stories yeah. on the back end of a consequence? 
and so much of it's generational with back in the day, you know, we do timeouts and we put kids in their rooms and we disconnect them mm -hmm. from the source of information and yeah. love that they really need to see. Yeah, and I think like with what you're saying, it comes with the level of working on ourselves mm -hmm. to know, yeah. you know, that we're able to be vulnerable with somebody who's learning about emotions and that kind of thing, because that does take a level of humility to get down on a child's level and saying like, that I didn't mean to scare you, yeah. you know what I mean? So I think that that's important too, is like the work we have to do individually in order not to continue the pattern. That's huge. Yeah. And it's really confirming a reality too, yeah. right? Because yeah. like if you don't repair, like you said, the mm -hmm. kids, kids blame themselves because yeah. they think the world revolves around them. That's just developmentally how they are. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're, ang if you're responding in anger, then I evoke anger. It's right. what my problem is. Yeah. So like, I can't please my dad or whatever it is that would start to sink in there. And really when you just get down, you point out the obvious, like, hey, I kind of lost, he know, you know, he knew you lost it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he knew you got yeah. mad. You knew you got mad. Yeah. All you have to do is acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Just be like, yeah, that was, Oops. Yeah. yeah. My bad. Oops. Yeah. And then just and, and remembering too, that's right, yeah. like brilliant points. And just remembering that a lot of that intensity is form, informed by something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I heard a, a brilliant thing or back in my early career from Pia Melody over at the Meadows. It, say, it changed the game for me, the way that I look at intensity and anger. Mm -hmm. And she said, if you ever get over above a five out of 10, mm -hmm. it's because of the past. And so very clearly in, in yeah. our recovery and as parents, I can go, oh, I miss that. Like yeah. That has nothing to do with where we're at yep. today. Um, and being able to get that right. Yeah. And I think what I struggled with early on as a parent and repairing was that I'm actually not gonna get my point across when I admit that I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually, you can do both of them at the same time and actually yeah. doing both really well as a result. But I always felt like, hey, I'm gonna say sorry you need to say sorry yeah. <laughs> and it's just kind of the maturation process as a parent and watching that process unfold and really reaping the benefits of some good solid repair and then i yeah. see rorick he'll get intense with his brother i'll be like hey, and the intensity and be like i actually didn't mean to get intense with you garrick you just weren't listening and so when you don't listen <laughs> I, I think you're trying to put me off and he's like no i love you rorick you know <laughs> he's like okay good because i now now we the story is clear yeah you know before yeah. we end i wanted to get into one last question um, and we'll start with Angela. What is the greatest, the absolute greatest moment, if you can think of one, um, being a parent in recovery, being a mother, being a great mother? Um, for me, I'm not sure I can think of one moment. I think it's every day that I get to show up for her and hearing things come out of her mouth like that. They're, you know, our car got broken into a couple years ago and, and my daughter was like, you know what, mom? Somebody probably hurt them, so they think it's okay to hurt people. And I'm like, okay, she was four. Yeah. <laughs> um, and stuff like that where I'm just like, holy cow, this is working. Whatever yeah. I'm doing is working, yeah. you know? And so now it's been seven years later, and I've seen that girl every day, unless I was like out of town for a couple days or something, but that I'm consistent for her. And consistency is not something that I could be even for myself. So being that for her, um, I think that's just the greatest gift, really. That's awesome. Yeah. How about for you, Jay? Yeah, I, so many. I, I, there are, and some of them are so precious. But I mean, I'm not going to talk about them on here. But like, I do think, <laughs> um, I think, you know, it, honestly, now that my kids are out of the house and it's uh, Trish and I, like, I think it's actually just the small things. You know what I mean? It isn't. It isn't the big trips, though. Those were fun and have been fun, and I hope I can do more with my kids. But like. 
it's, you know, a game of cards around the table or just like, you know, sitting at the fire or reading Harry Potter book or, you know, like it's, it's all the little stuff. Um, it has nothing to do with a big moment. I think it's the, it's the long, it's the cumulative moments would be what I would say. Yeah. How about you, Chris? I can definitely relate to that. Okay. Um, you know, as I asked you guys that question, I hadn't thought about it before the show and, um, one of the things that's been really near and dear to my heart over the last couple of years is spreading positivity, love, compassion, and joy to the world. And um, I do it all the time. I run down the road. I do peace signs. I say, happy Tuesday. Our guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe one of the, one of the cooler moments was uh, about six months ago, I'm riding bikes with the boys. And they get out in front of me. I jog behind them. And they, they can get way out in front of me. And I look. And my two sons are at the crosswalk about 400 meters ahead of me. And every car that goes by, they're going, happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. So to see that, to see them out in the community and in the world treating people well yeah. um, is mm. the single most greatest gift as yeah. a father yeah. for me. So, I love that. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was a phenomenal show. Thank you both for coming on. It's always just an absolute pleasure to connect with you both and to share both personally and professionally. Um, thank you for being a part of the Great Parent Club and showing me um, how to do this thing 24 hours at a time. So appreciate you all very much. Appreciate that. For the viewers out there, uh, your grateful recovering <laughs> president and founder getting ready to sign off. Please find us on all of your podcasts, Instagram, TikTok, TikTok. Reels, um, you name it, <laughs> Facebook, we're all over the place. Tune in, subscribe, follow, give us a like. We love you all. Peace.